that and get a time in the Word of God together um, and talk about the resurrection of Christ, then we're going to worship and uh, thank God for that resurrection. You know, when the news about COVID-19 first broke, I didn't want to believe it. Did you? <laughs> you know, I suppose we're all kind of a state of disbelief. We heard things that were starting to get bad in China, that people were actually dying from the virus. But how many of us actually believed it would find its way to America? You know, did we actually believe it would impact our whole country the way that it has? And some people, you know, still maintain that the pandemic is just some kind of a conspiracy. You know, uh, it's being, being uh, thrown upon us, you know, and it's not nearly as bad as people say it is. Well, in late February, um, kind of personal experience of this, I flew to Thailand with Dave and Dan to be part of the Barefoot Doctors graduation, and we knew as we went that we need to have masks along, but didn't feel like there was any reason to be using them at first. Uh, what uh, seemed to be happening in, in uh, China, which isn't very far from Thailand, seemed to be light years away. You know, it just, just wasn't anything that seemed to be real. But when we were getting, to come, getting ready to come back about two weeks later, um, the pandemic was getting worse. The reports were getting worse. And so we decided as we left and we went into town, we were going to wear masks. As we got to the airport, we were going to wear masks and so on. And uh, we got home trying to be as safe as possible and got in on a Wednesday and decided we wanted to share our experiences in Thailand with everybody that coming Sunday. But it was not to be. Uh, even that very Sunday morning, as got up ready to, to do that, the elders and I said, you know, things have just changed the last few days, and we better not even be at church today. We've been out of the country, been in contact with a lot of people from over that part of the world, uh, not sure who we were in the plane with, so we're just going to quarantine ourselves for the next two Sundays, next two weeks. And then uh, it really felt strange. You know, like, I couldn't come to church, couldn't, couldn't see anybody. And very quickly, what we had refused to believe suddenly seemed very real. Um, and we had to take this virus very seriously. In fact, the third Sunday that I was home, uh, when I thought we were going to finally get back to come to church again, we shut down our public worship services and didn't have them for the next 15 weeks. So you know that. Uh, you know how difficult it's been. We started doing our services online so that we could keep everybody as safe as possible. And still today, we're keeping this coronavirus thing very, very uh, real, taking it very seriously, much more than we did at the first. Well, you know, some people can't believe that Jesus actually rose from the dead. <laughs> Any more than we could believe that the virus was real back in January. You know, it just seemed like that just doesn't happen. It's not going to happen here it just seems to be too far of a stretch for them to think that somebody could actually come back from the grave. In fact, it has never happened before. It's never happened since. Uh, and supposedly, this thing that occurred two million, two mil millennia ago, uh, his resurrection, just seems light years from where we live because it doesn't happen this way. Think about that. Uh, think about our, our lives. When people die, they die. When things are gone, they're gone. Um, and and when, when we experience this, the, the loss is tremendous, the grief is tremendous, and, uh, you know, we just think that's the way it must be all the time. There doesn't seem to be an exception to that. 
On top of that, we could throw another objection that people do, you know, this isn't scientific, this isn't natural, you know. We can't reproduce this, you can't put a, a lab together and experiment and produce another resurrection, so it must not be real, because if it's not scientific, if it's not natural, it's definitely not real. And so we can understand some of those doubts, um, and yet we have a reality before us. We have a fact before us. It's the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Is it true that Jesus actually died and then rose from the grave? Is it true that he was basically pronounced dead on the cross, you know, when they thrust the spear into his side, that he was buried in a tomb for two days and then on the third day walked out of that tomb under his own strength? Is that true? Is it true that after he died and rose that he made appearances to more than 500 different people over a 40-day period of time so that they would know that he was alive again? Is it true that somehow Jesus broke the code on the life and death thing and that for him, death was not the end of the story? Oh, what do you think? Do you think Jesus' resurrection really happened? Lee Strobel was trained as a journalist, and he, he was an investigative reporter. He was really good at his job. In fact, he became the legal affairs editor at the Chicago Tribune. Um, and so he's highly respected, highly regarded, and very skilled. A few years ago, he was writing about some of the toughest questions that people have about Christ, and he turned to the subject of Jesus' resurrection. He recalled a time when Peter Jennings did an investigative report on TV that was called The Search for Jesus. Maybe you even remember that. It was many years ago. As a fellow journalist, he was watching this program, and he was surprised how poor the journalism was in this report which aired on a major network. He was very disappointed in the bias and the poor judgment that was shown. And it really got him thinking. He's almost mad about it. And so he said, you know, there should have been a better report, a better investigation than this. In fact, I'm going to do my own investigation. He interviewed people who were experts in the field. He read everything he could. He looked at all the facts he could possibly find. And then he said the following... While Peter Jennings imagined a gaping gulf between the Jesus of history and the Christ of faith, I became convinced, mostly against my hopes at the time, that they are actually one and the same. Indeed, the evidence of the resurrection of Jesus proved so overwhelming to me that I felt I had no choice but to accept it as the ultimate authentication of Jesus' claims to deity. Compelled by the facts of history, he said, I repented of my sin and I received Christ as my forgiver and leader on November 8, 1981. What I thought would be the end of a journey turned out to be the beginning of a breathtaking adventure as a follower of Jesus. Amazing, radical change. A change that his wife had just gone through that a few months before, by the way. There's another former skeptic named Josh McDowell. And Josh wrote about his research into the resurrection of Jesus. He was skilled in these things as well. And he actually went out to disprove the resurrection and to show that Jesus was not the Son of God or the Savior of the world. 
That was his intent. That was his motive. But then he said, after 700 hours of studying this subject and thoroughly investigating its foundation, I came to this conclusion, that the resurrection of Jesus Christ is one of the most wicked, vicious, and heartless hoaxes ever foisted upon the minds of men, or it is the most fantastic fact of history. And he, too, became a Christian. And by the way, if you want to read any more from these two guys, you can ask us for free copies. We'd be glad to give you free copies of some of their books. Lee Strobel wrote The Case for Faith, The Case for Christ. Josh McDowell wrote More Than a Carpenter, which our Monday Night Bible Study is going through right now, and also a much larger book, Evidences That Demand a Verdict. The resurrection of Jesus Christ is the most fantastic fact of history. It has a monumental place in history because it is the most unique thing that has ever happened. This bodily resurrection happened once to one person, Jesus of Nazareth, and yet it has the same historical authenticity or more than many of the facts of the past that everyone agrees actually happened. Every sermon ever preached in the New Testament centered on the resurrection of Jesus from the dead. The good news that was preached over and over again was that Jesus broke our bondage to sin and death by overcoming the grave on our behalf. Christianity, in fact, rises and falls on the resurrection of Jesus' resurrection 2,000 years ago. Now, last week we read the Apostle Paul's powerful statement about Jesus' resurrection in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, starting in verse 3. Let's read it together again. For what I received, I passed on to you as of first importance, that Christ died for our sins, according to the Scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas and then to the twelve. After that, he appeared to more than 500 of the brothers and sisters at the same time, most of whom are still living, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles, and last of all, he appeared to me also as to one abnormally born. And then... He goes on in just a, a minute here, and he says that here in this uh, time when we are maybe doubting in Corinth and other believers that the resurrection was, was it real? Will we be raised? Uh, he was facing in this letter of the church of Corinth a number of questions that people were having because Jesus had gone back to heaven and the many months had passed by. And they were wondering, where was Jesus? Why wasn't he coming back? Because the promise had been, I will come back for you and I will take you to be with me forever. And yet he had not fulfilled that promise. And so Paul is answering these doubts. People questioning if their resurrection was possible. And so, in fact, is Jesus' resurrection possible? Did it really happen? And he goes on, starting in verse 14. And if Christ has not been raised, our preaching is useless and so is your faith. More than that, we are found to be false witnesses about God, for we have testified about God that he raised Christ from the dead. But he did not raise him if, in fact, the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, then Christ has not been raised either. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile. You are still in your sins. Then those also who have fallen asleep in Christ are lost. And then Paul gives the bottom line. If only for this life we have hope in Christ, we are of all people most 
to be pitied. The resurrection of Jesus Christ is foundational to the Christian faith. If it did not happen, we have no reason to believe that Jesus can save us from sin and death and hell. Without the resurrection, we are hopelessly lost. But with the resurrection, however, we have every reason to believe what we believe about Jesus Christ. That he is our savior. That he is the one who can deliver us from sin and death and hell. And so this resurrection is extremely important, and we need to have a grip on this. We need to understand the, the accounts, the reports, the record, and see that they are verifiable just as other historical facts of the past. In the Handbook of Christian Apologetics, Peter Kreeft and Ronald Toselli give five possible theories to explain the resurrection. Now, these are just logical Things people have come with and said, this is what might have happened. This, this is a scenario that could be it. And so I want you to look at this chart. Down the right-hand side, you see five different things. Christianity's uh, explanation of the resurrection. It would literally happen. This is how it happened. Then some people say, well, no, it's just hallucination. They thought they saw Jesus awake again or risen from the dead. Or a myth developed that, that this created uh, a time when, when uh, you know, over a period of time, people started thinking things that didn't actually happen and attributing to that special things that put it in the category of myth. Or that there was an actual conspiracy when people got their heads together, disciples, and said, we're going to create a conspiracy that people might believe. And then others say, no, Jesus just swooned. He didn't actually die. So you see on the left-hand side, a couple different ways. Either he did die or he didn't die. And, and ramifications of that. If he did die, then Christianity says he rose. Others say he didn't rise. He died and he's, he just stayed dead. He never came back from the grave. And then the final theory says, well, he didn't actually die at all, which buys into some of the major religions even say that. Islam says that. He didn't actually die on the cross. And so there was no resurrection. Either the resurrection really happened, number one, or number two, the apostles were deceived by a shared hallucination, or number three, they created a myth, which is not to be taken literally, or number four, they were deceivers who conspired together to pull off the most famous and successful lie in history, or number five, Jesus only swooned and simply resuscitated, not resurrected. All of these are logically possible, I guess and so must be properly investigated. If we can, however, refute the other theories against the resurrection, I think we'll have gone a long way in proving that the resurrection of Jesus from the grave is an historical fact that must be reckoned with. The four theories that say the resurrection did not occur can all be easily refuted, if you think about it. Peter Kreeft and Ronald Toselli give many solid reasons can't go into all of those because actually they list nine arguments against the swoon theory, seven arguments against this conspiracy theory, 14 arguments against the hallucination theory, and six arguments against the myth theory. So they have a, a lot of things to consider here. But let me just highlight the strongest ones of these. First of all, Jesus didn't just swoon. He didn't just pass out and then was res re resuscitated later. Roman law laid the death penalty on any soldier who bungled a, a crucifixion. That is why when they thought Jesus had died, the soldiers thrust a spear into Jesus' side 
and saw that blood and water came rushing out. This shows that Jesus' lungs uh, had collapsed, that he had died of asphyxiation. Besides, uh, you got to think about this. If, if he hadn't actually died and he was placed in that tomb, how did he revive himself? How did he move the great stone that was the entrance to the tomb and immediately make appearances to his disciples, apparently in the greatest of health? You know, suddenly he just, oh, everything's fine. No, no injuries. Uh, he's okay. No wonder the Jews conspired with the Romans to say that Jesus' body had been stolen. They all knew that he had certainly died. None of them claimed that he had not died. That would have been the perfect answer. No, he didn't die. He just swooned, but he didn't. Number two, the disciples did not conspire to lie to everyone else because there was no advantage for them to do so. In fact, because of the good news that they started preaching everywhere, they were, in fact, hated and scorned and persecuted and imprisoned and tortured and put to death in the worst ways known to man. If they had lied and these threats started coming upon their lives, isn't it amazing that none of them ever confessed that the resurrection story was a lie? Whether they did that freely or under pressure or maybe a bribe or even torture. And in addition, if Jesus' resurrection was a lie, his enemies would have simply produced the body, the dead body, and said, no, this was a lie, don't believe it. Thirdly, Jesus' resurrection was not a hallucination or a vision for many reasons. First of all, there were just too many eyewitnesses of the risen Lord who saw him on separate occasions. One time, 500 of them all saw him at the same time. You know, 500 people don't have a hallucination together. Secondly, the disciples never expected Jesus to rise from the dead. They didn't get it. He told them it was going to happen, but they were all clueless when the actual event happened. They didn't dream up a resurrection because they weren't expecting a resurrection. Some of them even doubted it when they first heard that he had come back from the grave. This included Peter and Thomas and several of the other disciples. And in the simplest argument ever, hallucinations don't eat. <laughs> you know, if he hallucinated, why is he saying, give me some food to eat? I want to show you. I can eat this food. Why is he inviting them to touch him as he did Thomas? You know, put your finger into the nail holes. Put your hand into my side where they, they thrust the spear. I am real. I am here in your midst. Then finally, Jesus' resurrection wasn't even a myth because there wasn't enough time for a myth to develop. Usually several generations have to pass before the mythological elements are added to a story so that people can mistakenly believe it as fact. In fact, when the gospel was first preached and believed, many eyewitnesses of Jesus' life and ministry were still alive who could have discredited the new mythical versions of his story. In addition, there are several aspects to his story that no one would have created as a myth anyhow. If it was a lie or a myth or whatever, why would they have put certain elements in the story that don't seem to be really helpful in selling that story, one of the most significant of these that really impressed me was that the first people to see the written, risen Lord were women. And when you realize that in that century, in that society, women were so disregarded that they were not allowed to be witnesses in a court of law. And if the empty tomb was an invention, its inventors would not have said that his body, his 
a live body was discovered by women first because their testimony would have been considered worthless. But if they were telling the truth, all they could do was tell the truth. This is what happened. This is how it happened. I know it's not you know, what we wanted to happen. Maybe it wasn't the way we wanted it to happen, but this is the truth because it is the truth. This is exactly what happened. So did Jesus' resurrection really happen? We are convinced that it did. It is an historical fact that it is verifiable in the same way that we can verify other facts in human history. So if it is true, so what? If it really is true that Jesus rose from the grave and no one else has done this, what does that mean for us? Well, many things. Let me identify three before we close today. First of all, Jesus' resurrection means that we can be saved. We can be saved from death and hell. The only person who conquered death promises to vanquish death and hell for you and me. He promises that I've done this and now I can do this for you. As I was raised, so you can be raised. Billy Graham said, a dead Christ could not have been our Savior. An unopened grave would never have opened heaven. But by breaking the chains of the tomb, Jesus proved himself to all ages to be the conqueror of sin. And by conquering death himself, he proves he can offer us life. Secondly, Jesus' resurrection means we have hope. A hope that cannot be taken away. Whatever may happen in this life, we always have hope in Christ. And isn't that some good news? We need some good news today. And no matter what is going on, no matter how bad things may get in your life or mine, we always have hope in Jesus Christ. Think about back when that happened, when Jesus first died on the cross. Things could not have gotten darker the night that Jesus died. His disciples hid behind locked doors thinking that they might be the next to die. Their greatest hopes had seemingly been dashed to pieces, but then Sunday morning came, and Jesus rose from the grave, and everything turned completely around. Jesus' disciples were so sure of what they had seen that they began preaching the good news of Jesus' resurrection everywhere they went, no matter what it cost them. Nearly all of them died a martyr's death because no one could take the hope that they had been given. Jesus' resurrection means we can have hope, a hope that cannot be taken away. And finally, Jesus' resurrection means that salvation is found only in Jesus Christ. Who else in history can lay claim to the fact that they have been put to death and came back to life again? Has any other wise man or philosopher or founder of a religion experienced resurrection from their graves. No, we can go visit their graves today. But Jesus' grave is empty. There is no one else who can save us from our sins. No one else is qualified to do so. There is no one else who can guarantee our hope and confidence for the future. Only Jesus can give us salvation. And this means there is no one else worthy of our confidence, worthy of our belief and our trust. Max Lucado tells a story of a missionary in Brazil who discovered a tribe of Indians in a remote part of the jungle. They lived near this large river that had kept them alive for generations, but they were fearful of that river. When the missionary discovered these people, there had been a contagious disease come into 
their village, and it was ravaging the entire village. People were dying every day. The hospital was not far away, but it was on the other side of the river, and the Indians would not cross that river because they believed it was inhabited by evil spirits. They lived in fear of that river. They thought that to enter that river would mean certain death. And the missionary tried to explain to them how he had crossed the river by boat. He was unharmed, but they were not impressed. So he took them to the bank of the river, and he placed his hand in the water, but they still wouldn't go in. He walked out into the water, even up to his waist, and splashed around, you know, put a little water on his face. It didn't matter. They were still afraid to enter the river. Finally, the missionary dove into the river and swam beneath the surface until he emerged on the other side and got up on the bank. And as he came up out of the water, he thrust a, a triumphant fist into the air. He had entered the water and escaped. He had crossed the river and he had survived. And it was then that the Indians broke into a cheer and followed him across the river. That's exactly what Jesus did. He told the people of his day that they need not fear the river of death, but they wouldn't believe him. He touched a dead boy and called him back to life. They still didn't believe. He whispered the life into the body of a, of a dead girl and got the same result. He let a dead man spend four days in a grave and then called him out of that tomb. And yet people still didn't believe him. Finally, he entered the river of death himself. And he came out on the other side. He proved his power over death and hell by dying himself and then coming back to life. No wonder we celebrate the resurrection. Would you pray with me? Father, I thank you for your word. Thank you for the testimony of so many others who, who believed what they said to the point of death they would give their lives, that they would suffer any horrible thing that others would throw at them, do to them, because they knew this was the truth. We thank you for the truth of Jesus' resurrection, and we thank you for what it means for us today, that we have someone in whom we can put our hope, someone in whom we can put our faith and confidence to know that as he overcame death, he can give us life and life eternal. I thank you, Lord, for everyone who's within the sound of my voice today. I know that you are speaking to our hearts today, that you have a, a desire that we would understand, that we would know you, that we would know Jesus as our Savior, as our Lord. And I pray that if anyone has come today with, with doubts and, and concerns that, that have not been answered, that some of those answers have been given today. And I pray that you continue to, to draw them to yourself that you continue to show them your power, your grace, and help them to see that in Jesus, and in Jesus alone, we can have life, life eternal. We thank you for Jesus' resurrection today. We celebrate it together as we bow before you now. In Jesus' name, amen.